In his book, The Meaning of Life, Rabbi Harold Kushner tells the following story. One of the sages of the Talmud taught nearly 2,000 years ago that God could have created a plant that would grow loaves of bread. Instead, he created wheat for us to mill and bake into bread. Why? So that we could be his partners in completing the work of creation. Well, that was the idea anyway. It is true. We people have been partners with God in creation. We've been fruitful in filling the earth with generation after generation of children. And we have used our creative energies to erect not only buildings and roads and vehicles that traverse earth, sea, and sky. We also create poetry and paintings. We apply our energies to the marketplace and to the hearth. As bearers of the image of God, we honestly come by our desire to create. But we don't always perfectly mirror the image of God. We even sometimes get in the way of God's ongoing creation, much less help to complete it. Now, here's what I mean. I'm going to say a list of words and phrases. As you hear them, be aware of the image or the idea that comes to mind. So here goes. Environment, ecological awareness, global warming, ozone layer, weather patterns, smog, whales, acid rain, rainforest, recycling, pollution, toxic waste, thermal inversion, Earth Day, industrial waste. Does all this sound like the agenda for a convention of the Mother Earth Society or maybe a plank in a political platform? The list that you just heard is about our Earth, our world, sometimes called creation. Many people have been concerned about Earth and its condition since the Industrial Revolution. If there's a hole in the ozone layer, it's there somehow because of pollution brought about by mismanagement of chemicals, fuels, and wastes. If South American rainforests are endangered with a resultant effect on weather patterns, it's because someone is cutting down the forest to sell the lumber or to make room for more buildings. If some whales are endangered, it's because someone has a use for them and must kill them in order to use them, and so on and so forth. People who care about the earth are called ecologists, at least in a broad sense. The root of the word ecology comes from the Greek for house, that is, environment, habitat, surroundings. Ecology, then, has to do with our relationship with the world in which we live and its condition. As it happens, the condition of our earthly house today is cause for concern. And so we celebrate Earth Day, we recycle paper, metals, and glass, and we fight pollution. In the early chapters of the book of Genesis, we see another kind of ecology taking place. God, we are told by the priestly author in chapter 1, solemnly orders the creation of light, the separation of the waters above from the waters below, the separation of land from water. Then God populates earth with vegetation, water animals and birds, land animals, and finally, the man and the woman. In this freshly created, newly arranged ecology, all is as it should be. God finds creation to be good, even very good. God, the man, and the woman enjoy a close relationship. But in chapter 3, as you've already studied, things begin to break down. Adam and Eve take a chainsaw to their own rainforest called Eden. They tamper with a tree that has been declared by God to be off-limits. The theological ozone has been pierced by their lack of trust in God and by their own attempt to be like God. 
in this Genesis ecology, the relationship that existed among God, the man, and the woman, and creation has been changed and damaged. The man now hides at the sound of God's familiar voice. In shame, the man and the woman cover their heretofore innocent nakedness. They are expelled from Eden and sent to toil and to till an uncooperative earth that will yield no less vegetation for them but thorns and thistles. Genesis chapters 4 through 10, our subject for this lesson, reflect the background that we've just discussed. The stories of Cain and Abel and the flood exemplify clearly the ecology that has been stewed in chapter 3. What began as two creatures trying to imitate their creator has resulted so far in brother killing brother and then the destruction of earth by a great flood. The account of Cain and Abel in chapter 4 is characterized by Cain's chilling words to God. Am I my brother's keeper? The ecological destruction that has affected human relationship with creation has now invaded the family. Cain not only is not his brother's keeper, he is even his murderer. And the situation only deteriorates from there. In chapter 6, verses 11 through 13, we read, But the earth was corrupt in the view of God and full of lawlessness. When God saw how corrupt the earth had become, since all mortals had corrupted their ways on earth, God said to Noah, I see that the end of all mortals has come, for the earth is full of lawlessness because of them. So I'm going to destroy them with the earth. A few verses earlier, verses 7 and 8, God had said, I will wipe out from the earth the human beings I have created. And not only the human beings, people, but also the animals and crawling things and birds of the air, for I regret that I made them. But Noah found favor with the Lord. We can almost hear God saying, How could it all have gone so wrong? What happened? Everything was fine, then all of a sudden the bottom fell out. In an ideal ecological system, things have a way of taking care of themselves. For example, a tree in the forest dies naturally. Eventually, decay causes the dead tree to topple on the forest floor. The decaying process continues and the dead tree nourishes the ground. A seed from a cone lands where the old tree once stood and begins its life cycle on the same spot. Natural ecological systems work slowly, but they're effective until something or someone tampers with them. In the ecology of Genesis, there is a pattern of creation and decreation, life and death, that betrays the tampering of human beings. It is because of human choices that decreation impinges upon creation. It appears from Genesis 3 that the man and the woman are not satisfied with their own nature as creatures. Their eating fruit from the forbidden tree is a way of saying they would rather be like gods, thus grasping for a nature that is not theirs to have. Thus the man and the woman begin to decreate the ecology created by God. They begin to dissolve their relationship with their environment and their God. The struggle has begun between life and death, light and darkness, love and hate, good and evil, grace and sin, fidelity and infidelity, order and chaos, being and non-being, salvation and loss. In Scripture, from Genesis to Revelation, God is indeed a God of creation, a God of life, a God of light, and a God of love and goodness, grace and fidelity, order and being. He is a God of salvation. 
Human creation, on the other hand, chooses infidelity, darkness, and death rather than showing forth the image of God. Genesis sets the pattern for God's response. If God expels the couple from the garden, it is only after having promised victory for the woman's offspring over that of the serpent. If Adam and Eve lose Abel, then God grants them the birth of a new son, Seth. If creation is destroyed by a flood, God repopulates earth and promises never to be so destructive again. The portrait of God that emerges from this pattern of creation and decreation, giftedness and infidelity, is that of a Savior. God is a God of salvation. Though seemingly angry at human thoughtlessness and failure to love, God repeatedly saves what is lost. The flood, though destructive, is not God's last word on human wickedness. Rather, we read at the end of chapter 8, verse 21, Never again will I curse the ground because of human beings, since the desires of the human heart are evil from youth. Nor will I ever again strike down every living being as I have done. In chapter 9, God makes a covenant with Noah and sets his rainbow in the clouds as a reminder to himself that he will never destroy the earth again by water. God then repeats the ancient command to Noah and his family, Be fertile then and multiply, abound on the earth and subdue it, which command we see carried out in Genesis 11 in the so-called table of the nations. Though the desires of the human heart are evil from the start, we begin to see that God would rather have proud, disobedient people in the divine ecology than not to have them at all. If people are allowed to exist, perhaps they can change. Perhaps grace can win out the energy of creation and salvation overcome the energy of destruction. To this creating, saving God, being is better than non-being, even if it isn't perfect. And thus we are soon to meet Abram and Sari. They are not perfect, but the God of Genesis and the ecology of new life sees in them the hope of a creation that will last forever. We can look for them in Genesis all the way into the book of Revelation, wherein the seer John tells us that he beholds a new heaven and a new earth. Like a lot of people, I'm concerned about ecology. I try not to waste water. I almost never wash my car. I turn off lights when they're not being used. I eat what's on my plate. I try to be careful of my relationship with the environment because it's the only one we have. And there's another unique ecology that also calls for a lot of care, our relationship with God. The outlines of the environment of the garden in Genesis are traced in us. We are creatures, and even though we are wounded by the events depicted in the fall of the man and the woman from God's friendship, we are still free. And in this freedom, we still pluck forbidden fruit by the choices we make. It is in our choices that we ratify God's image within us or try to recreate ourselves. Through our decisions, we reverence God's ecology or we dismantle it. We can still see the shadow cast by Cain as he slinks away from the fallen body of his brother Abel. This shadow is present whenever there is injustice. For we are all brothers and sisters, and when we harm one another, the blood of Abel cries out from the earth. Whether the injustice or the hatred take place in Darfur, Washington, D.C., Northern Ireland, Central America, in the culture of death that infects so much of our modern thinking, or in our own neighborhoods or homes, 
God's ecology is being harmed and Abel is still being slain by his brother. We all have a hand in the destruction that began in the garden and gained momentum with Cain and Abel, the general evil of all humanity. That tide of chaos has not stopped, but there have been some remarkable figures who were not washed away by the flood. Noah, Abraham, Sarah, Moses, Mary of Nazareth, and Jesus. In them we see a rekindling of that original trust in God that characterized the newly created humanity before the fall. From Abraham who said, here I am, when God told him to prepare his only son, Isaac, as a sacrifice. To Mary who acknowledged her lowliness before God and pondered within her heart God's actions in her life. But especially in Jesus, the firstborn of all creation, do we find what it means to be fully human and therefore the new Adam. Unlike the first Adam who tried to be like God, Jesus did not cling to his own divine prerogatives, but he emptied himself and took the form of a slave sharing our humanity with us. He did this with complete trust in the saving God of creation. Thus, in our name as a member of the race of Adam and Eve, did Jesus restore the proper relationship between God and people. Right living is still a struggle. Cain still wanders the earth. The just and the innocent cry out to God for help. It would seem only fitting that the world be punished by God as when the floods came in the time of Noah. But God is the saving God. And the only flood that remains is the water of baptism in which we die. Yes, but also in which we find life.